you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. What value is there to business by including LGBT people in their marketing? What message does it send to LGBT people to see themselves in advertising? Is the queer community willing to spend its pink dollars with companies that show public support of us? We talked about these questions and more with Sean Howell, co-founder, chairman, and president of The Hornet. The Hornet is a gay-owned, developed, and distributed location-based mobile dating and social network, and their study that does a deep dive into the benefits of marketing to and with LGBT people is informative for business and for the queer community. Before we get started, this episode of Queer Money is being brought to you by the How to Start Becoming Debt-Free Challenge coming to DebtFreeGuys.com soon. Here we go. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. All right, welcome to another episode of Queer Money. We are excited to have Sean Howell from The Hornet. Welcome, Sean. Hi, guys. Great to be here. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for reaching out. Would you mind telling us, our listeners, a little bit about who you are and your background, please? Sure. I've run Hornet for seven years, and we started this as just a passion project. Originally, we thought the community really needed this. And before this, I worked as an analyst, lived in Seattle. Now I live in San Francisco. Nice. We love San Francisco. <laughs> Very expensive city, but it's a lot of fun. Like it. <laughs> so for our listeners who aren't familiar, would you mind telling them what the Hornet is, please? Hornet is a 25 million gay member uh, social network, and it's a content platform that we produce stories every day in seven languages, and we have users in 150 countries around the world. Wow. wow. That's amazing. So that's like the social media platform for gay men. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. Where'd you get the name The Hornet? What does that mean? It's a fun origin. So when you're naming a company that can often be a long process, but this one was fairly immediate for us. Hornet was started by some tech geeks. We wanted to build an awesome online community and have a name that reflected this. Hornet is one of the most social insects and a powerful concept to me of being stronger together. And if you attack a hornet, you're going to get stung. So (laughs) that's the origin of uh, the name. I love it. Yeah, I do too. It's not typically an insect or a a creature that I would associate with the gay people in general, but it works. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Absolutely. And we were checking out your site in preparation for this interview. And I love how you try to be diverse in the type of gay men to whom you appeal. And, uh, you know, you, you appeal to leather men, Bear men, otters, and everybody in between. We were trying to figure out what David is. We don't know exactly <laughs> what he is. <laughs> we, uh, you know, that's a fun thing to think about because we want to really welcome everyone, but also opposites attract. Right. And so if you build a community that's just one-sided, you're not actually building something that anything wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a ton of diversity in our community in and of itself. And I think, unfortunately, too often, at least in the media, we are portrayed as either like one or two type of gay person. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we're obviously more diverse than that. So thank you. It's a great platform. So we wanted to discuss with you, the Hornet has recently done a study on advertising to the LGBT community. Do you mind giving our listeners a little bit of a background of, of what that study is and what sparked your interest? 
several things were the motivating factor around this. One, Hornet is a large technology platform, and that means I've got server costs and engineers to keep on salary. And we do that through selling advertising. And Hornet runs about 31 billion ad impressions a month. So that's quite a lot of advertising comes across us. And we always want to make that a better success for our partners. But we also think that LGBT audience responds well to authentic advertising to them. And we wanted to help create some insights into what that looks like and make the case to advertisers that they're going to see a stronger ROI when they make an investment into LGBT advertising. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think at one time you could tell an advertiser how many impressions you get, but now I think people are a little bit more sleuth and they're looking for, well, what does that actually convert to? But $31 billion is Yeah, that's <laughs> a staggering number. You know, I think one of the other comments that you made there, Sean, that I think is important is we see a constant stream of material and some of that is advertising and some of that is content and when we see content we want advertising that does look authentic something that we can relate to which i think is probably one of the reasons why you want to discover this information what is it that our community is responding to what is it that we are looking for and you can go back to advertisers and say maybe don't try this maybe you should try that and vice versa <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what we tried to do in this study. We had some control groups. We tried to make this as rigorous as possible. Sometimes you see research done here that's more anecdotal than scientific. So we have tons of data and there's going to be four more research from us to come. I think that we can share in mind and, and help our advertisers do better. We wanted to do this study with Nielsen just to kind of give it the brand recognition and credibility that Nielsen also brings to the table. Absolutely. Nice. That is good. So what were some of your biggest takeaways from your study? I think there's several. The study to many of the listeners might seem obvious, but you have to kind of dig a little bit deeper to see everything that's there. But one of the biggest takeaways was that when you actually talk to our audience in a way that they want to be talked to, the advertiser sees a 40% higher ROI and that's measured in intent to buy. But the even more interesting figure is that when an advertiser communicates and shows a brand affinity to LGBTQ, there's a 60% higher likelihood to recommend that advertiser. So I think that's a pretty profound statement that just shows that advertisers are getting a return when they're moving in this space but also advertisers who aren't there yet need to get with the times because it's a much higher return on their dollars. Right. Can you explain, I'm not in marketing myself, what, what does appealing authentically to the LGBT community mean? If I was a business trying to market to the LGBT community, what would that look like? Sure. I think some of that is an artistic touch, but I don't think it's hard to understand. I think when you're showing LGBT advertising and you have someone out looking to buy a car, you're just making sure that LGBTQ people are represented in that advertising and aren't just kind of like a gay uncle off to the side, but <laughs> you know, maybe a couple are going through the same kind of normal conversations that you would have with your own partner shopping for a car. Gotcha. So we want to see more of ourselves in a less, I guess, cliche fashion. Yeah. Absolutely. I think as long as it feels real, then that's a good litmus test. 
You know, Sean, I, I think that some advertisers are getting this idea of authenticity and doing a great job with it. I think back to... Yeah, I'm going to age myself here, but 10, 15, even 20 years ago in advertising, it seemed like most advertising was just the beautiful people, right? It was the ones that, you know, if you buy this vacuum cleaner, your wife is going to look like this. Or if you buy this truck, your friends are going to think you're a macho dude like that. And it seems to me like we're seeing advertisements today that have some more natural looking people in them. Sometimes individuals who we may say to ourselves, I didn't expect that person to be in advertising <laughs> just because we come from a mindset of it was only the beautiful, quote unquote, what advertisers deemed as the beautiful people. And now I think that that kind of authenticity, if it creeps into advertising for our community, we'll start to see more natural advertisements and more natural looking people in our advertisements as well. I sure hope so. I think that uh, we're now in a time where apps like Hornet have really democratized an ability to reach an audience. But if you also do it wrongly, you're not going to see the return that uh, you might if you take time to do it. And I think a good contrast to that is simply that when we see a kind of a generic ad or, you know, a straight centric ad advertised to LGBT people. It just doesn't perform as well as obviously an ad created by LGBT people for our audience. Absolutely. I think there's a general awareness right now for many people because of the national conversation of everything looking a little bit too, I guess, white and straight. (laughs) And I think that when people start to feel like businesses aren't trying in any way, shape or form to connect with them, why would I do business with them? Are you starting as somebody who works with advertisers Are you starting to see more companies evolve to a space where they want to market to LGBT people and people of diversity? There's several players who've been in the space for a long time, and they're getting really great at the kind of advertising they do, whether that's Wells Fargo or Hilton. You see them not just representing LGBT people or one kind of LGBT, but representing kind of all the different colors of the rainbow that make up our community. There's so many interesting layers to that. In fact, the fastest rising LGBT group in the United States is Latino. And I think that that's easily missed if you kind of go back and look at advertising from, say, 10 years ago and what the focus audience would be. So a lot of brands are They haven't just already moved to LGBT, but they're also really realizing how diverse our community is and kind of the realness of our community. Gotcha. So would you say that that banks and, I guess, hotels or service brands like that are leading the way in terms of LGBT advertising? I I think there's it comes in all all kinds of fields. I think you can see it from uh, financial services and travel. Definitely the spirits companies were some of the first movers in the space, but you, you see technology companies. I think the automobile companies, I think there's very few sectors that haven't moved in the space. There's still some individual brands that aren't there yet, but I think they will be. What are they waiting for? Yes, that's, a, that's always our question. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it's a study. Uh, we'll, exactly. we're, 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 we're sending it to them and sharing it. And it was kind of done in a controlled, unbiased way. So I, I think it's some legitimate findings that every CMO needs to pay attention to. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I love it. So hopefully every marketing CEO in the country will listen to this podcast. Right. <laughs> and hopefully some of those companies that are on the HRC index that get 100 will also listen to this because it's some... some 
some of those companies seem to be missing it as well. <laughs> David's talking from the point of personal experience. Anyway, your study focused on alcohol, auto, hotel, and insurance. Why did you focus on those industries particularly? We wanted to really have a lot of good data. And so what we need to do was have a controlled group. So we used real advertisements from these advertisers. And then we found a competitor of theirs and used that against a control group. So we showed LGBT-themed ads to an LGBT audience and, and then focused on the generic ads as well. So that helped us run this control group. And so we need really to have the diversity of both straight-centric ads and LGBT-themed ads. Great. Thank you. Your study shows that LGBTQ-themed ads drove stronger brand recall and had a higher affinity for purchase intent and recommendation intent, which for marketing is huge, right? Those are kind of the gold standards for doing kind of an impact study like this. And so the conclusions look pretty obvious and significant. Absolutely. And then respondents exposed to the LGBTQ-themed ads were significantly more likely to indicate agreement with key brands in terms of them being progressive and inclusive and caring. And it seems to be, from our experience, especially with the younger generations, that that's becoming more and more important, higher expectation of businesses, would you say? Absolutely. And sometimes you see brands go really far down this road where they get political, even where you have American Apparel or something running the Principle 6 campaign, which is the equality principle of the Olympics. So they're promoting this kind of Olympic value when uh, the Olympic Winter Games were in Sochi and that there's no discrimination by sexual orientation according to the Olympic Code. And then you have brands that are just kind of appealing to us as a community. Mm -hmm. And so I think that regardless of which track an advertiser takes, our audience has an affinity and supports brands that cater to us. Absolutely. David and I noticed, especially this last Super Bowl, how many commercials were sort of focused on social awareness and inclusion and you know social justice for that matter. Right. It really stood out to us. There was, it was either humorous or it was political in some way, shape or form. Absolutely. I think there's so many reasons this makes sense for businesses to move in this direction. We saw uh, businesses being able to support LGBT rights first. And that was good business, not just for advertising, but also for their employees. And they also have the ability to move fast and in this direction. And I think sometimes politics that we elect in this country don't always represent the majority. And businesses have to sell to the majority. And so mm -hmm. in some ways, this is just them being where the citizens are today. And if the public conversation politically is moving another direction, businesses still can play a role in moving that back in the right direction. Right. Yeah. So as LGBT people, as, as gay men, obviously, we can agree that it's important for businesses to include us in their advertising and to try to connect with us. Do you think we as a community are ready to reciprocate with our pink dollars? Or do you think we already do, I guess? Is that, yeah. Or do, do we, we do that do? today? And or are we ready to if we're not? One thing's for sure, the purchasing power of the LGBT community is large. Right. And if you think about 2% of the world's population or 4% of the world's population, you're talking about the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world is gay people's purchasing power. So 
we have dollars to spend and an advertiser should be targeting us and having programs and uh, benefits that work for us and make sense. So having financial services products or insurance products that make sense for us, for having hotels that don't just have gay advertising that we see, but also have policies put in place that uh, make sure that they're aware and friendly and protect us. I completely agree with you. I think that one of the things that we noticed that was mentioned in your study was that individuals who were polled said that they had a premium on spending on a company that their advertising was inclusive. Wasn't the best way to state that question. but, (laughs) But if we're inclined to spend more, we say we're going to spend more with these companies. Are you seeing that we're actually following through on that? I mean, you probably have a little bit of data that says we're actually clicking through and going to these websites, to these advertisers, and following through in some sort of fashion, whether it's signing up for something or purchasing something. Absolutely. I think that you're right on a couple of fronts. One, the data shows this both in terms of the research, but also you know, with digital advertising measuring performance is an important thing. And so advertisers definitely are seeing a return when they move in this space. And this research was really designed for those who need to be convinced of the return that they're going to see. And we just wanted to provide a rigorous study that made sense and kind of illustrated these points. But as I said earlier, buyer intent was 40% higher and willingness to recommend was 66% higher. So that should catch the attention of any marketer. Right. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I mean, we still live in a pretty Judeo-Christian society. Is this enough for companies to say, I'm willing to accept the possible backlash from conservatives if I market to the LGBT community? You know, that's a great question. I think that there's plenty of brands that have already done this analysis and moved in this direction, and they've shown a return. Everything from something that you might think is kind of everyday brand like a Burger King making Pride Whopper to Doritos making Rainbow Doritos. <laughs> those, those are some, some, you know, kind of everyday man brands that, you know, you might not think can risk it, but they've already done the analysis. And so it's kind of silly that other brands haven't. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say, you know, there's all this research on where kids are today. And so if brands are not just focusing on winning the patronage of Gen Z today, but Gen Z is going to be in the workforce and and driving purchasing power going forward, they're going to seem out of touch and they're going to lose that kind of lifetime value of that individual. And we've seen tons of studies around where Gen Z is today and kind of their, their concept of fluidity and inclusion. And that's why I think you saw all the Super Bowls hitting this theme of inclusion over and over and over again with kind of big dramatic stories, because that's the zeitgeist of today. And I'm going to always pull from a Nobel laureate, economic inequality is not just a lack of money, it's an inability to realize one's full potential in life. And I think brands have a long way to help us move our community forward. Absolutely. I love that quote. And I just think, you know, as you're speaking, I'm listening to you, it's, you know, David and I are in our mid forties and I, I don't know how old you are, but it's, isn't it an amazing time to be alive? I mean, I, to think that it was only a few years ago that we could actually finally legally get married to now it's almost like if a company doesn't include LGBT people, they are now at the risk of losing not only the pink dollar, but typical greenback. 
Right. Absolutely. I think the, the one thing we know as well, and we'll be doing research on this, is reaching allies of LGBT is one of the biggest markets that's out there. And a brand can seem in touch by making LGBT-friendly advertising and winning our straight allies. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you bring this up because I was watching an old episode of Will and Grace last night. And, <laughs> You're so gay. And it, was, it was one of the episodes where Will jokingly made a comment to someone who was saying that he didn't know anyone who was gay. He said, well, if you don't know somebody who is gay, it's highly likely that you are gay. <laughs> and it kind of made the man you know, a little concerned and made him think. But you're absolutely right with the number of individuals who are now comfortable being out and sharing their true selves and living authentically, we have to be reaching such a capacity or a huge number of individuals who are a part of that ally community. Many of them care for us and want to see us represented as well. And so when they see us being represented in advertising or in stories, they can relate and understand. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen so many queer-themed movies actually do well in box offices these days. Absolutely. I think it's also authentic. You know, those are real stories and ones that we're still telling. And I think that advertisers can paint a beautiful romance of two gay men or two women or trans couple and have people be able to relate to it and know it's real. And I think that is the biggest standard that's out there today and that brands will just feel fake and phony and, you know, being kind of the madmen advertising executive from the 1950s just is not going to cut it. We've got to really be able to speak to the entire community. Yeah, I just think it's it's a fascinating time to be alive. Just so you know, that Will and Grace episode that David was talking about also had Will referring to Jack as a screaming heller monkey. (laughs) And David has called me a screaming heller monkey three times today. (laughs) (laughs) With good reason. (laughs) So, so Sean, I, I have another question for you. And this is, I think, because of the industry that you're in. You're in an online and phone based application company. So you have an advantage to be able to do extreme targeted advertising. As we see advertising change, how is that ability to be so incredibly targeted? I think about your application. I think about Facebook and all the applications that are out there now. Uh, You can target to somebody based on their age, their zip code, their income. There's so much data out there. How is that going to change advertising? Hopefully that makes advertising better. And I think one truth is many people in the advertising industry just haven't woken up to all the options that are out there. But clearly some have and they take advantage of it and they are able to really magnify hitting the correct audience that really needs to see their advertising and then move the needle Uh, at the end of the day. As a consumer, what I hope is that then I'm seeing more relevant ads for something that I wanted or inspires me or teaches me. And so I have a big hope that things will continue to move in that direction. And we're already seeing it as we provide more and more technology and options for advertisers, then that makes the content of the ad more contextualized and on target for the audience. And when you're relevant, then you can be important and useful. 
I like that. Yeah. I guess I have another question for you then. <laughs> because we are conditioned to seeing advertising on our phones, on the websites that we visit. And John and I have talked about this. There are certain parts of the viewing area that we tend to just ignore. And on your computer screen or your yeah, phone. Yeah. Does that mean that maybe we need to give some of those a second chance? Because some of those advertisers, because they know so much about us, may be trying to authentically appeal to what it is that we as individuals need. You know, that I think that's a fair critique. I think what you're saying is that you're not seeing those ads. And I think that might be because you're not seeing a gay ad there. And maybe that would catch your attention. And so you're kind of filtering over these heteronormative ads. And so they're missing you. And they're not speaking to you in a way that you want to be. And so now they have a hill to climb. So I think that's a fair critique. You know, I don't think I should be the one to say that doesn't happen. I think digital advertising needs to be as creative as any form of advertising. Otherwise, they're just not going to see it. But I think that's exactly what this research shows. Yeah, I I think you're right. I never even thought about, (laughs) about that, that I'm just ignoring it because the ad space is something that I've never found myself in. I've never related to it. I've not been attracted to it. But I will say one of the things that I do find, although sometimes it bothers me, when I visit a website and for either purchasing a product or looking at a product, and then I go to another site and I see that product or that website advertised in that space, I am always aware of it. So for example, John and I frequent a particular hotel chain. And when I go and book something at that hotel chain, then oftentimes I will see that hotel chain in subsequent advertisements on sites that I go to. There's a part of me that appreciates it. And there's a part of me that gets tired of it. <laughs> it's partly just because that's a limited rollout. Right. And right. you only have a couple of players that are doing that. And the data set is incomplete because there's not other people kind of outbidding them for that ad space. That will change and hopefully get better. But if you're always seeing the same ad and being retargeted, then that kind of gets boring. But Mm -hmm. but obviously that advertiser is seeing a good return on it. It's just other advertisers haven't moved into that digital landscape yet. I think it'll be interesting if companies can start to work together in some way, shape, or form. So you've already bought your hotel reservation. So why would that doesn't necessarily make sense that they would market more hotels to you because you're, you're already booked, you're done with that. But there are other products or services that you might need for your travel, such as plane tickets or a new luggage, or you might want to have a new swimsuit, depending upon where you're going. <laughs> uh, regardless your of mind, of going, course, your mind goes to swimsuits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there's the underwear companies have totally figured out that I'm gay because I can't go on my phone or my computer without there being underwear advertising. <laughs> underwear is a great e-commerce digital ad space. I think the bigger thing that still needs to happen is that much like advertisers focus on the Super Bowl, it's the Super Bowl every day in the digital landscape world. And the brands that aren't focused on kind of creating an inspiring message to the LGBT audience, they're, they're missing a chance to shine. And we've shown time and time and again that if, if a brand makes an inspiring or beautiful campaign for us, we give that campaign extra miles. We'll share it. We'll mm-hmm. talk about it. And that's a real chance for a brand to shine. And I, I think it's a major missed opportunity. So sure, I'm happy if people kind of get 
really good at measuring the performance and doing retargeting. But what I would love to see, because I think it will be better for the advertisers and certainly more fun for the audience, is for people to really kind of invest in making their digital campaigns big and smart and inspiring. You know, Sean, I think that what you just said is the quote of the show, that every online advertiser, if they choose to present the advertising in a manner that is connecting with the individuals that they're trying to appeal to, that's what it's all about. The whole reason why everybody wants to have a Super Bowl ad is because they think they can connect with a massive number of people. But you can do that every single day already online if you want. I even feel bad for the advertisers during the Super Bowl because, you know, there's only two teams that play in the Super Bowl and they're both winners once they make it to the Super Bowl. But for the ads, maybe you remember one or two of them, but, you know, there's 50 ads that day and they're all competing with each other. And so they run their best campaigns against one another. And this is where I think it's such a missed opportunity because I think every day a brand can go such a long way with our community and really tell a beautiful story. And there's so many wonderful memories. And, you know, someone goes and buys a Fiat, our young student, his mom's buying his first car and he wants the Fiat because they ran a gay ad. And, you know, that's an affordable first car for a young gay teenager. I mean, there's so many beautiful possibilities here that I think advertisers can really hit the ball out of the park. I think you're more than a data junkie. I think you're a marketing junkie too. (laughs) (laughs) So I think this is a lot of great information and I agree with you. I hope that brands and technology can get a little bit smarter to create a better experience for everyone. What can and should the queer community do, if anything, with this information that you've gathered in your study? What can we do with it? Absolutely. I think one thing is information's powerful. We're doing a lot of reporting at Hornet Stories on the pink economy and on advertising. So if this is a topic that's interesting to folks, we run the largest LGBT newsroom in the world. We have the former editors and chiefs of some of the top publications from around the world, and we've put them all in our newsroom and they're cranking out stories and original reporting. We've got news desks in several states in the US and offices in Europe and South America and Asia. So people should become informed, demand that we get some rigorous studies out there. And I think this is a good first start and continue to push this topic because I think we all win if we move advertisers to speak to our audience in an authentic way. Absolutely. And can our listeners find out more information about this study in particular on the story section of the Hornet? Absolutely. So we've got a couple follow-up pieces that we've done there that can actually download the whole study. So if they're a marketing executive or just a curious person, it's there for them to access for free and it's, it's easy to get. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for your time. This is a lot of great information. I think that we're just on the cusp of some really exciting things happening in the digital marketing space, especially, but marketing in general. So thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate your show and you guys bringing these kinds of conversations together. Thank you. Thank you, Sean, for sharing this intriguing study. Thank you, Hornet, for conducting such an intriguing study. David and I believe that private business, especially those led by LGBT people, can be a powerful force for equality. We also believe that it's important for our community to respond in kind to those businesses and institutions that support us. Thank you for listening to another episode of Queer Money. If you liked this or any other episode, please remember to like, comment on, and review Queer Money on iTunes. And don't forget, 
This episode of Crib Money was brought to you by the How to Start Becoming Debt-Free Challenge coming to DebtFreeGuys.com soon. Until next time. Okay, we just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at Queer.Money. Well, I'm not really gay. (laughs) (laughs) Would help me if I had a personal chef made all all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the other end, I like the butts. So. <laughs> yeah. uh. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.